לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. כל רמה, מאה ושתיים שלוש, It's over. It's been over. Well, you're a real man. We are real men, of course. And I don't know about you, but I have been diligently avoiding work as much as it's humanly possible. Okay. People, you know, are starting to get in the habit of saying, do you know what you're going to talk about for the holidays? And I go like, it's going to be really great high holidays right now. It's going to be very short sermon. Do you know what you're going to talk about? Judaism. Judaism. I will say the one small following thing in this in this context which people might take some notice of uh given everything that's going on in Israel this is the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur war yeah it is the 30th anniversary of the Oslo Accords okay it is the 30 uh it is the uh 45th anniversary of the Begin Sadat Camp David Accords Wow, and it's the third third anniversary of the Abraham Accords, so there there's there significant. I mean, the third anniversary of Abraham is a little bit different, but fifty from Yom Kippur, forty five from Camp David, and thirty from Oslo. Uh, those those are pretty pretty big anniversaries. They're all momentous. It's 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 all a matter of how you you roll the dice on the mm. uh, in in the chronology of Israel. And speaking of rolling the dice, what we decided to do is pull out one of our uh, t- tried and true methods, because this Parsha, in addition to being an amazing Parsha, Parsha Kitetse, also contains the most number of mitzvot in the Torah. Uh, we've said this before, it's the most mitzvah-dense Parsha in the Torah. Um, and um, because there's so much to talk about, uh, we decided that we would uh, have our random verse generator generate a verse for us randomly. And uh, today I chose this uh, random verse generator. Now we're going to have to decode it a little bit because I have one die for, for four, which is four-sided and another that's 25-sided. So so we're just going to have to add the numbers because we have, it's there are four chapters in this, um, in this Parsha. So one will be chapter 21. Okay, Nagi. Okay. So I'm rolling the dice and I'm gonna to go to you. Well, then we have to have five because five chapters? Five? Yeah, five, five, exactly. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. So my custom die one. The okay, here we go. Rolling now. And this is gonna to go to Barry. Okay, so this would be chapter 22, verse 11. 22 verse 11. Beautiful. Lo Tilbash Shatnez, Semer Ufishtim Yachtav. 
Okay, well, I come from a family that was in the clothing business for a number of years. Translate, translate. Oh, shot in it. Oh, oh, okay. So first the verse is... um, You shall not wear... Right, okay. Do not wear shotness, a combination of wool and linen together. The the simple explanation seems to be that wool comes from an animal and linen comes from a plant. And therefore, it's the kind of mixing of the domains which the Bible often frowns upon. Um, One of the things that speaks to me about this verse is when people used to go to Mo Ginsburg's for suits, many of the suits had a little tag saying inspected for shot nose. Yeah. And if Mo Ginsburg hadn't done it, I'm sure a lot of people would not have done it. Although there are plenty that went there, obviously that needed to know these things, but the best comment about shot I've ever heard came from the late Rabbi Louis Jacobs, who in one of his discussions of mitzvot is saying, how, you know, there's no question that a mitzvah that's moral, we have to observe. And there's also probably no question that one that we think is immoral, we're not supposed to observe anymore. But what do we do about one such as Shatnas, which is moral neutral? And he believed that we should observe it because there's no loss in observing it. It's part of our tradition. We may or may not like it, but there's no reason not to observe it that would compel us to violate the tradition. And I think that's an important note for us who um, wrestle with the tradition every week, apparently. And um, it helps us navigate the whole realm of halakha, of Jewish law. What about what about the interpretation that says that shatnez actually was a, 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 a weave that was on the Kohen Gadol? That that the the cord of the Kohen Adol was a linen, linen wool weave, and that um, in in deference to the kind of sanctity of that mixture, we preserve that mixture in the holy domain, and in the non-holy domain, outside of everything Kohen, uh, you can't wear it. In other words, it's like saying, you know, the you know by royal appointment. You know there are certain things that that belong to the to the monarch. Uh, so the curiosity here, and I actually know nothing about it, which separates me from not too many of the other programs, <laughs> is the term itself shotness. Yeah. Because the verse reads very well without the verse, without the word shotness. Loto bash summer ufishtim yachtav. So it would suggest to me, in all humility, that shotness is probably not a priestly term. And therefore, that explanation, which has a certain logic to it, even compelling logic, doesn't seem to work itself out with all the details of the verse. Well, you know, uh, now I have to look at Vaikra, because that, that point that you're making right now about the the verse reads pre- perfectly well without the word shotnez. Um If I'm remembering... Um, um, dot dot dot. Uh, where's the where's the word as it appears in in uh, when it appears in Leviticus? Um, 
All right, so I'm not finding the word right now. I'll find it in a minute. But it just says Shatnez, and here in Devarim, it explains what Shatnez is. So I think Michael Fishbane writes in book about inner biblical interpretation is that what you have in the Devarim is the later explanation of what was at, in Vayikra a clear word, which by Devarim's time is no longer a clear word. So they explain it. Um, here it is. Behemtecha lo tarbiya kilayim, don't crossbreed animals. Sadcha lo tizra kilayim. Ubeged kilayim shatnez lo ya'alalecha. Don't crossbreed animals. Don't plant multiple crops in a single field. And beged kilayim shatnez lo ya'alalecha. Beged kilayim shatnez, you know that it's some sort of mixture. But it doesn't say tzemer ufishtim yachtav. With, with respect to the Kohen Gadol, which I, I think this is a very interesting element, um, if I understand this correctly, first of all, the Kohen Gadol wearing shatnez, it, it may also be the weave of the garment, but it definitely is the fact that tzitzit, which are which have techelet in them, are wool, woven into a garment which is otherwise pishtim, flax, linen. And so to this day, if, if you think that the, the blue thread in your tzitzit that is available in the market today counts as biblical techelet and w- whatever it actually wasn't as a historical matter, it is widely accepted that it is counted as biblical techelet. Then today, even today, you could put techelet on your talit, your otherwise uh, linen talit, if you had them, most of our t- talit's are wool anyway, but if you had one, you could put um, you could put techelet on it because it would be a, a, a mitzvah deoraita um, you know, for, for whatever for whatever that's worth. Somebody told me who who was like a fabric person that flax really won't take dye. Flax is always going to be a kind of uh, white or off white, and the colorful stuff is always going to be wool. And I don't know if that's true or not, but so I, I would think that what one of the things about shotness then would mean like it shouldn't look stupid. It shouldn't be a patchwork. You can tell that, that that's wool over there and that's i mean like i when it says mo ginsburg is inspected for shotness we're assuming that that's some sort of finely analyzed chemical analysis or something like that i think ancient people probably just said look at that yokel over there whose clothes are patchwork the guy doesn't even know how to dress himself yes yeah, so, i i i would say two things first of all what's striking in what you say jeremy is that in shmote when god summons us to be his people he wants us to be a mamlachet kohenim, a, a kingdom of priests, and therefore wearing priestly garments would fit in nicely with that. So I have to share with you what Jeffrey Tigay writes. Um, this is why it's always good to do your homework before the show. Prohibition <laughs> cannot be viewed as protecting the distinction between species, as some rabbis have suggested. It does not prohibit combining wool and linen, but only wearing a cloth made from that combination. The rabbis could think of no explanation for this prohibition and considered it one of the commandments for which there is no apparent reason, in which other nations and the impulse for evil challenge, like the ceremony of the broken neck heifer in 2119. Josephus's conjecture is probably correct. The prohibition applies to the laity because the priests, when they officiate, do wear garments of such mixtures. The Thanks. status of such garments is thus comparable to that of the sacred anointing oil, and the incense that is used in the sanctuary and may not be made or used by 
Late persons as stated in Exodus 30, 22 to 37. So I I defer to Professor Tige. I mean, the the fact that Vayikra groups this mitzvah with crossbreeding animals and cross-planting fields seems to say, but uh, Jeffrey Tige is writing here about Deuteronomy, so we'll we'll leave this bit sorry to you. And, you know, Liz Chuto, he's writing well about Deuteronomy. Yes, good for him. Right? We'll have to give it a, a second, a second opinion. Okay, all right. Pulling up the next, pulling up the the dice here. Going to go back. Going to go to Jeremy now. Here we go. Rolling the dice. Okay, here we go. So it's three twelve. That would be what twenty twenty-three verse twelve. Twenty-three verse twelve. <laughs> okay. Now this is funny. It's it's I can give it a homiletical depth, but it, it is kind of funny. It's it's, it's a it's a um, part of a series of verses about military hygiene and latrine practices. When you go out as a troop against your enemies, be on guard against anything untoward. Ashiluya Mikol Davara from everything bad. Um, so now we, the homiletical way I would read this. That this is verse 10, but 12 is into this package. Um, the homiletical way I would read this, and this is, by the way, Ramban has a, a wonderful Ramban on that verse. Um, Ramban, Nachmanides, says that when people go into battle, they lose all moral restraint. They are completely vicious, um, and, and you uh, should not be that. You should guard against ransacking people's homes and battlefield rape and all these kinds of of things. So that's the deep meaning of of uh, the Nishmarta Mikol Davara. But the in context, the Torah says, you know, if somebody has a seminal emission, they better immerse in water. And then then only after they immerse in water can they return to the military camp. And uh, around around the evening, they when the sun sets, that's that's a in, in ancient Bible times, what, what they did is they immersed during the day. They were separated until sunset. And when the new day began at sunset, then they came back into the camp. But but 13 and 14 are kind of funny. Everybody should have their own shovel. And what do you do a shovel with in military camps? You've got to dig a hole before you need to do your business. Do your business and then cover up your excrement. Because, verse 15, God is in the midst of your camp to save you, rescue you, and to make your enemies submit to you. And so your camp has to be holy. And God shouldn't see in you something gross, disgusting, and then reject you. Now, of course, this is a, a a kind of you know naive thing. What the master of the world today's today's recording is on Wednesday, and the song for Wednesday includes the great line, you know, will the one who planted the ear not hear? Does the one who gave you the eye not see? Come on, that's Psalm 95. What God who created us doesn't know that human beings defecate? That's ridiculous. But the idea is the camp shouldn't be um shouldn't be like just a frat house a hefger a disgusting place you have to even in times that might produce in you um 
you know, wildness and obnoxiousness and and out of control behavior, even then you have to seek and aspire to some refinement. Cool. Good job. All right. Now I guess it's my turn. So here we're gonna go. Let's spin the dice, rolling the dice now. So we got three, two, which would be twenty-three, two. Is that it? Oh gosh. Oh goodness. Take a look. You just did it. You just did twenty-three. So no, you didn't. Twenty-two. I did. I did twenty-three, twelve. But you got twenty-three, two. You don't have to do it. You could do something else. Yeah, yeah let's do another verse. <laughs> okay. Let's we'll repeat the verse for those who may we're still looking up later. Get it. Four one. Okay. Four one, which would be twenty-four. First one. Yeah. Okay, and this one, this one is also not so easy, but but it is a big part of of Jewish tradition. Okay, if a man takes a woman as a wife and marries her and has a uh, intimate relationship with her, if he doesn't like her, for he found within her, you, you translate it as a despicable thing. He should write her a... Uh, a document of severance, and he shall give it into her hand, and he sends her out from his house. So this is the foundational verse of, of the whole uh, um, institution of Gitin. And uh, I, I know that Masechet Gitin, they, they just finished Masechet Gitin in the Dafyomi cycle. Uh, I'm no longer on the Dafyomi cycle. I, I ended the Dafyomi cycle somewhere in uh, Shabbat, <laughs> the second. Oh, I, I got to Erevin. I was in the middle of Erevin, which is going like, okay, it's, I'm going to go to the 929 cycle. Okay. Um, and of course, you know, the the whole discussion was, let's focus on the on the Sefer. Placing the document in her hand is the, the transaction of, of uh, Gitin. Uh, and as all Masadri Gitin know, this is a very this can become a very complicated uh, process uh, because you have a shaliach, you have a messenger. What constitutes a messenger? What constitutes the document? What constitutes placing? What constitutes all, you know taking the the document in in the process of Gitin? What happens is um, it's it's quite a you know an intricate process a highly scripted process as we observe it t- today where the the parties come before the betin the husband because the the law is written towards the husband the husband has to state to the betin i i want to uh, have a, a get written to uh, my uh, wife uh, the names and document is all inscribed on the spot. The, the the scribe then you know places folds up the 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 get and gives the get to the husband or the shaliach uh, because there are many situations where the husband is not present for the the get um, and the then the get is placed the document is placed in, in the folded up fashion into the hands of the 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 uh the wife she holds it like this she pull, p- picks it up she takes three steps with it all of which is to indicate that she has accepted this get and that the, the acceptance of the get is voluntary um after which 
the document is opened again and reread. And all of this, these rules, uh, you know, in the in the choreography of the get procedure, have to do with all sorts of mischievous things that happened over the course of centuries. How people would give a get, you know, erroneously, or people would give a get, you know, for economic gain, or people would give a get for all sorts of nefarious reasons. And so to preserve the integrity of the process, because it's it it's it's such an important moment. Uh, each and every detail of the process is spelled out, and that has its headline, so to speak, in that verse. Um, you know, in terms of what ervatavar is, and you know what what's a despicable thing. All of these are are subject to to wild uh, and varied uh, interpretations, which. Uh, we're not going to get into. No, but it's worth noting that a simple reading of the verse seems to suggest that the reason for divorce is what we call today irreconcilable differences. Yeah. And up until relatively recently in our country, that was the one reason that you cannot get divorced. You can only get divorced for adultery, which follows the Christian tradition. They have a whole different uh, outlook on divorce than Judaism does. And, you know, it's interesting that the Bible seems to prefigure this idea of irreconcilable differences that not all marriages are destined to last. Yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, in ancient Jewish literature, Beit Shammai does propose that adultery is the only grounds for divorce. And, and because divorce, because marriage was... You know, this is like really, really hard. Any of us who have studied rabbinic literature are always not so dimly aware that their world is just unimaginably different than ours. And and some of the stuff that they say is like, where is that coming from? And in what contexts of human relationships and structure, social structures, does something make sense? Um, there, there's a there's a kind of famous mission about um, dividing up a, an estate too small to cover all the all the uh, the kitubot, the person has multiple wives, the man has multiple wives, and, and he owes the kitubot, and he dies, and his estate's too small to cover, and how do you divide it up? And and the, the Mishnah says, well, you know, first wife takes first, and second wife takes second, etc. But um, there, there's this other Mishnah that has the three wives, and it divides it up in a complex little way. And the only way to make sense of it is if you assume that the man married three women on the same day. What 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 society? What con what are you thinking about that somebody could get married to three people? Well, that prefigured Sun Young Moon. Well, you know, so the the the, the um there is the account of Rabbi Tarfon. Rabbi Tarfon is Kohen, and he was entitled to Truma, and and he married many many women so that they would be able to eat uh, from yeah to give to give them to to give them tzedakah as it were. Exactly. Um, you know, so it's so, conceivable that you could create a scenario where a person would marry more unless they were calling. And but the the um, the 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 part about the you know grounds for divorce or irreconcilable differences. I mean, I think because men were were assumed to be and to whatever degree this was true in the ancient world, I'm not, in no position to say economically powerful, and women were assumed to be economically much less powerful, um, and so I think that. I think that the modern reader, and not just the modern reader, but through through history, the the fact that husbands have power to say, "Out with you," and you're on your own now, 
is is seen as economically very disadvantageous to other people, female people who are already economically disadvantaged. So it makes us say, man, like the, the this is a real power imbalance that needs to be ameliorated. And for centuries, Jews have always tried to ameliorate it. Those of us who are more uh, religiously small C conservative are less bold. Those of us who are a little less small C conservative have been bolder, but it's a problem. All right, here we go. Next one. Who's going to be, whose verse is this? We're going to get to, boom, 411. 2411. 2411. Um, oh, this is, this is good. This one's really nice. Um, okay. A person, I'm going to start in verse 10. When you make a loan to somebody, you cannot go into their house to seize the collateral pledge. Stand outside. And the person to whom you are a creditor, and the, the debtor will bring the collateral pledge outside. Uh, and if the debtor is like not just in need of money, but like poor, poor, uh, you cannot uh, let him go to sleep while the creditor still possesses the pledge. Presumably, the, the, the pledge itself, the collateral is itself like a, a blanket, a clothing coat. Uh, return the collateral pledge to the person before sunset. And the person will sleep in their pledge. And then God, for that act of generosity, kindness, dignity, chesed, God will bless you and will consider it an act of tzedakah in God's eyes. Very lovely, speaking of ameliorating power imbalances, creditors are powerful, debtors are, are, are powerless. You know, the fact that somebody needs to borrow from you doesn't entitle you to take their coat and make them shiver in the cold. Does this point to to a theme that is in Deuteronomy, which is the theme that that you know there's a refinement theme, a refine. I mean, we we talked about it a little bit at the beginning, which is or uh, the, the 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 notion that there is a kind of person that you are to become. You're certainly not to be like an Egyptian. You're not to exert power over people. You are to remember the divine. Uh, spark in every individual. Good. I, I want to offer a slightly different interpretation. I think that, as we've discussed before, Deuteronomy is a very political book, and I think that politics is all about power and its distribution. And Deuteronomy recognizes that some people have power over other people, and that's a reality. But all that power entitles a person to is to execute certain decisions. It doesn't entitle you to treat the person as anything less than a human being. And we were talking before the show about some cases in, where punishment is involved, where the Torah seems to go out of its way to make sure that the dignity of people that are deservedly punished must be maintained. Where we know it's very easy and to to mistreat people. And you know, I happen to be reading today of, of another case of police brutality. And part of the issue with police brutality is this power imbalance where the people with power, in this case the police, often do not even see the humanity of the person that they're 
confronting. Yes. All right, we have time for one more. Well said. Well said. Let's go to the dice here, and it's going to be uh, boom, 125, which would be chapter 25. And chapter 21 ends on verse 23. Oh, we have to re-roll. Re, re boom. Roll. 410, 20. Well, we already read. We already read that. Uh, that we just read. We just read that. Three nineteen. Twenty three nineteen. Uh, okay, interesting. Lotiyek kedeshah bivnot Yisrael. No Israelite woman will be kedeshah. Is presumably a prostitute. The JPS translation is cult prostitute. That's based on the word. Kodesh, it sounds like Kodesh is from Kodesh, as if there were sexual cults in ancient temples. Maybe there are, maybe not. But in any event, it's a sexual prohibition against uh, sex commerce. Yisrael, uh, And neither shall be, be a male equivalent, a male counterpart. Um, you cannot bring the price of a prostitute, the, the, the gift of a prostitute, or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow for because both of these things are abhorrent to the Lord. So if, if verse 18 about the Kedeshah is the same as verse 19, the word zona, you can ask yourself, why does he use a different word in 18 and 19? Uh, but if the parallelism holds, then there should there should be no male or female prostitutes, and the produce, lo, lo, the the monetary outcome um, of etnan zona, and this is going to be a little bit gross. I'm I'm afraid, my friends, but mechir kelev, the kelev is probably the male, male prostitute. It's probably not not an actual canine, but the male prostitute, um, not not, not, a, not a canine. Canaanite, not a canine. It's interesting the way that the text pejoratizes. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe that's maybe that's why Kadesh and Kadesha in verse eighteen are simply the names, and verse nineteen with those two words Zona and Kelev are um, slurs, yeah. like they're, they're they're something mean to say. Uh, obviously, in in a in a contemporary age, we're not talking. We we don't we 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 are much more judicious about how we describe people in sexual behaviors the bible here is something very univocal this is terrible and uh, and it, it is i mean i would say that you know nowadays as people sometimes talk about you know legalization of sex work as they say uh this is not my position i don't think this is a good idea i think i i, I worry about the treatment of people forced by poverty into into these degrading professions i think very, 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 very few people who engaged in sex work are actually self-possessed people who've made choices. I think they're, for the most part, terribly abused people driven by poverty into unimaginable choices. But I do think that the Bible is here saying sex commerce is no bell. This is intimate human relationships that deserve care and respect and, and some things money can't buy. That is access to the temple, right? It's It's about bringing... Bringing the, bringing the money to the temple, 
right? So, so, so the first verse 18 says you cannot have them, they cannot be them. And verse 19 says you can't use this improper uh Proceed. commerce money for sacred purpose. Like this is a this is an ends and means question. Temple is sacred stuff. You can't bring you can't use improper means to access proper goals. So, you know, you want to extrapolate that for a second. Just, you know, can you bring your profits from insider trading to, you know, dedicate a safer Torah to your shul? <laughs> can you these are these are the these are the issues. And of course, what what exactly we say, you know, um, I mean, we, we can think about all kinds of stuff. We and, had and, that. We had that at the seminary in the eighties. Yeah. yeah, with a certain famous person who uh, dedicated, uh, you know, the library, uh, and uh, was later sent to jail. Um, and they took the name off. They took yeah, the first they took his name off the library, then they took the library too. <laughs> Although his picture was in that, there was that piece of art that was in the Alpern lobby for many years. It was the ugliest piece of art ever. Sure, his, sure. His picture was in it. Um, no, we, we can think about this. I mean, I I had some members of my shul. Henry Zichron Alibach has passed. Edith is still alive. Edith Everett and Henry Everett. And in the 90s, the president of the UJ Federation of New York was a member of the Tisch family who was in the tobacco business. Yeah. And Edith and Henry went bananas that Jewish communal leadership was going to somebody who made money selling poison. We have this with the. I haven't watched it, but the, on Netflix, there's the Sackler and fentanyl, and, and yeah, 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 um, and of course, Sackler is oxycontin, not fentanyl, whatever. But but it's it's the same thing. Like if, if they have made their billions in human degradation, misery, suffering, um, you know, am I like? How do we think about the fact that there's the Sackler Medical School in Israel and the Sackler Wing at the at the Metropolitan Museum and and all of these things? On the one hand, I don't want a sanctimonious culture uh, that 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 in in which a tiny number of the pure look down on all the impure. I think that's disgusting. And and I also think that being implicated in I mean, if somebody were if somebody was like seriously, you know, if, if somebody like seriously made a ton of money in in the most uh, you know the ugliest ways, and then they wanted to give a safer Torah. It would be like Hosnish in the extreme, like this. you know, some something like this. No. I don't know that today a lot of people believe that money cannot be redeemed, no matter what the origin. It could be spent in such a way to redeem it. I think that that idea that money can become trafe and can no longer be redeemed, which seems to be the import of the, our verse, is, is is not as widespread today as it had been in the past. As a very technical matter, Chazal, or Talmudic era rabbis, they said the etnan zona cannot be given to the temple, meaning if the prostitute was paid by a goat, the goat cannot be offered. It does not mean if the prostitute has a herd of goats and sells off some goats and she has a hundred dollars and then she gives the hundred dollars. That is okay. Cause it is not the direct, they, they understand that money is fungible and assets are fungible. And that has actually been true over the history of Halakha. Although, although I would say 
that the idea in the parsha is exactly what you said is that some behaviors are so are just so ugly that we shouldn't machir them retroactively right but the there's a curiosity in the verse because what is the fee of a whore who has who ends up with it? it it's the i think that the shot is that the customer gives her the goat in exchange for a sexual behavior interesting right like, so in other words the person who's going to be giving this to the temple is the whore yes like Tamar, Tamar in the Torah, in the story. Which yes. is kind of... Well, no, this, is, this, is not, this part is nice because it, it, in its own small way, it's nice. This part is nice to say that the prostitute also loves God, also wants to worship. Also she has a vow to fulfill. Yeah. Okay, good. And we have a vow to fulfill also, which is that we keep this under 35 minutes. <laughs> we are... Uh, we're 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 at our time. At this time, I think people will still be interested in listening to us, but it's fine. Of course, of course, of course. But Maybe we'll we come to, back next week. We want, we want to thank them for watching, for enjoying uh, our discussion here this week. A little different, a little different style. Uh, it's really, you know, we, we're very, very honored by your your patience, your attention, um, and your indulgence of our indulgence. <laughs> in the meantime, we want to wish everybody a beautiful Shabbat, happy Elul, getting ready for the holidays. And we'll see you next week on another edition of Parsha Talk. Shabbat Shalom.